0: If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must be a servant. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. We've been speaking a lot of late in our sermon series here in the text where we've been, this Harmony of the Gospels, where Jesus has been speaking of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And for today, we want to talk about one particular aspect of that life in the kingdom, and that is greatness in the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Do you want to be great? Do you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? And when the day comes, and it is coming soon for all of us, when that day comes, when you will stand before the throne of our God, do you want to hear him say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant? Do you want to be considered great, not for your glory, but for God's glory? Because if we think it's about our glory, then we've missed it all and we'll never be great in the kingdom. It's about God's glory. See, the kingdom of heaven has been called the upside-down kingdom because oftentimes the values of heaven, what God says is good and true and right, oftentimes those values of heaven are the opposite of the world's values, what the world wants. See, in the kingdom, power is found in weakness. Believing precedes seeing. And true greatness, true greatness is found in being a servant. Being a servant to all. So we continue in our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a harmony of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of those accounts put together in one account, chronological order, as best as we can understand it, of the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're following this order of these events as shown in this book, One Perfect Life, by Dr. John MacArthur. As we continue in our series today, we're looking at kingdom greatness there based on the text from Matthew 20, verses 17 through 28, Mark 10, verses 32 through 45, and Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. So what is the big idea? What is the main point I want us to take away from our message here today? It is this, that if you want to be great, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must be a servant. If we want to hear God say, well done, we must be a servant. That's true greatness in the kingdom of heaven, is being a servant. Before we look at our text here, then, a little context. So, you know, people were eagerly anticipating the arrival of the kingdom. They were anticipating a political king, a political messiah, this messiah who would vanquish their enemies, Rome and he would restore their nation to greatness. And it is true that one day Jesus will indeed rule politically over all the earth. But that is not why he came at his first coming. His first coming was as a servant, a humble servant who would give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus often taught about the nature of the kingdom. He taught that there were many different aspects to it, that it is both physical and spiritual, material and immaterial. It is both now and not yet. And in our text here today, the focus is on what God requires of those who would be great, those who would be great in the kingdom. And the incident described here today has always been a key passage for me on teaching about spiritual leadership it's one of the first texts i want to go to in addressing this matter of spiritual leadership what does that look like in this passage we see what it is not to be and what it is to be but i want you to know though this passage though does not just speak to those who have been called to certain offices or positions of spiritual leadership. This passage speaks to all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. The attitude that we are called to here is for every one of his followers, not just those who may be called to formal positions of leadership. So Jesus and his disciples then, they're now on their way up to Jerusalem and you may recall that Jesus' life had been threatened on a number of occasions before there in Jerusalem and environs. And now, here he was going there again. In fact, this would be his last journey to Jerusalem for his earthly ministry, the time of his earthly ministry. Very shortly here, we are going to be having the triumphal entry and that passion week, that final week of his earthly ministry. So now here he is, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And the disciples are amazed that he's going in spite, with all of these threats, and yet he's going right back to the, into, the, into the den of the lions here. So we're told then in our harmony of our text here, it says, now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve disciples aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished." For the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. They will crucify him. And the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things this saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. So we wanna look here first at some prophecies, prophecies concerning the Son of Man. It said the disciples were amazed that Jesus was going back to Jerusalem given all the threats that had been made against him before. They were amazed but also afraid about that but they faithfully followed him there knowing that their own lives would be in danger as well. But they faithfully followed him there. You know, one could never say that Jesus did not prepare his disciples for his death. He did. And we know of at least three different occasions already that he had told them that he was going to die. We're told in Matthew 12 where it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him and saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. An allusion there to the fact that he was going to die, be buried, but then he would resurrect on the third day. Sometime after that, they were in Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And he declared that he would build his church, and the gates of Hades would not prevail. Told in Matthew 16, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Sometime after that was the transfiguration. And after that, it says, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So we know of at least these times, and there were probably some other occasions as well. But how many of you can relate to this where sometimes we get told something and maybe it kind of goes in one ear or out the other and maybe we do it and it's still there, but we just don't quite understand it. Or maybe we do understand on a level, some level, but we don't want to accept it or believe that. But we certainly cannot say that Jesus didn't prepare his disciples or warn them ahead of time of exactly what was going to happen. They should not have been surprised by what happened when they got to Jerusalem. But let's be honest, how many of us, if we had been there, if we had been and said, how many of us would have really understood that or accepted that, we probably would have been a little surprised along with them as well, right? Because what was in their minds, they were still focused on glory. They were looking forward to reigning with the Messiah in great power and glory. Bear in mind, as we read what we're about to hear next, Jesus had just told them again what was going to happen. He's now on the road to Jerusalem. It was the time of the Passover. And so they were headed to Jerusalem to celebrate the holy day there. But once again, he told them that death awaited him in that city. And here he speaks for the first time in the most great detail that he would be betrayed, that he would be mocked, that he would be flogged, that he would be spit upon, and that he would die by crucifixion. But he also reminded them that death was not the end for him, that he would rise again on the third day. But they didn't understand. Perhaps they simply couldn't bring themselves to believe that this was really going to happen to their Lord. And it seems they had other things on their mind, like who was going to have the most prominent positions of honor and authority in the kingdom. Right after this, we're told, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus answered and said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, We are able So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. So here we see a bold and frankly ignorant request. A bold and ignorant request. I originally called this an, an unknowing and impertinent request. An unknowing and impertinent. Unknowing what? That they had no idea really what they were asking about. Impertinent. Incredibly bold. Out of line. Right? Out of line. Not really knowing what they were saying or what they were asking for. So James and John want this for themselves. Remember who? Remember he had the inner Peter, James, and John. And now here's James and John. They're all start jockeying. They know they're going to Jerusalem. They got to figure something's going to happen soon. This great kingdom is coming. We're going to be here before too much long. And they want the best positions. And they're all jockeying. And by the way, before you start blaming James and John, who else among them was also jockeying and wanting the best positions? All of them, right? We're told that all of them wanted those best positions for themselves in the kingdom. But now here's James and John, they're going to him and they're also enlisting their mother. Even their mother is there and is saying, hey, hey, hey Jesus, let me, let, me, let me talk to you about this here. So they come before him. He asks what the request is. We wanna sit at one at your right hand and one at your left. And that represented what? To sit at the right hand, to be the right, we have an expression, the right hand man, right? This means this is the, 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 the number two position, one at the level. Well, this is the number three. These are the top positions after that. They wanted the most power and the glory for themselves. No doubt that their mother had heard Jesus say that his disciples would be seated on thrones, and she wanted her sons to have the two most prominent positions. It's interesting. Who is this mother of James and John who goes to Jesus? Well, many commentators believe, and I think it's quite possible, that, that this woman, James and John, their mother, this woman might have been the sister of Jesus' mother, Mary. Meaning then that she was what? Jesus' aunt. So here comes Jesus' aunt. And, mean, and if that's case, James and John then are Jesus' what? Cousins. Right? So it's like she might be thinking, hey, we got an extra we got we got an in here. Can you hear the conversation with James and John and their mother? Come on. I'm his aunt. You're his cousins. We got this, right? We've got an in over the rest of these guys. So you can imagine then her coming and saying, oh, Jesus, it's me, your dear old aunt here. Remember me, right? Listen, can you do something for my sons, you know, your cousins, family, right? Notice Jesus doesn't correct her about the fact of his coming kingdom and the fact that there would be positions of honor and authority He doesn't say say to them, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. You see, this is all a spiritual kingdom, and yes, it is, but it's also a physical kingdom, and he will rule physically, politically, and there will be physical leaders, rulers over that, but not at that time. So he says, you don't know what you're asking. You know the old expression, be careful what you pray for? You just might get it, right? Well, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Are, are you sure you, 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 you really want this? You want these best positions? Yeah, yeah, because what are they seeing? They're seeing the power and the glory, right? And there is power and glory in it. But they didn't, yeah. I heard something about motivation there. Yeah. What was their Motivation power and glory for themselves. So Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Now he was not referring to a glass of wine there. What does that drinking the cup mean? Suffering. Drinking the cup was a metaphor for the suffering that he was about to endure. He says, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? What was, the cup of, what was the suffering he was about to endure? It was the agony, the cross, and all that that meant? Physically, yes, but what? Spiritually? Are you able to drink that cup? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? Now, this is not a water baptism or something. This was what? This was the baptism of suffering. Oh, you want to be great? You want the top positions First of all, you don't really know what you're talking about. But if you do want this, are you able to do that? Are you able to suffer along with me? said, so can, you, can you do this? Can you drink this cup? And what do they do? What do they say? We can, of course. They don't know what they're saying, do they? But interesting, what does Jesus say? Oh, you will. You're going to drink the cup, all right. And they would, wouldn't they? In fact, James, he would be the first among the twelve to be martyred. He would be beheaded in Jerusalem shortly after the founding of the church at Pentecost. And of course, we know that uh, John, too, he suffered as well, didn't he? He was persecuted, he was exiled. They both drank the cup and were baptized with the baptism of suffering. So he says, Oh, you will. But as far as who gets the right and the left in the kingdom, he says, Jesus says, This is not mine to give. And I think, well, that's kind of strange. He's the king. Can he? he says, What? This is for who's going who's to determine that? The Father. The Father will determine. He is the gracious and the generous and the all-knowing judge. He will determine who has those seats. Once again, this is illustrating that the disciples did not understand Jesus' teaching about what was about to happen to him, but also what all he had said about humility. Do you think this was the first time Jesus had told his disciples about the need to humble themselves and to be servants? Nope. Back up just a little bit earlier in Matthew, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Can you see how they're already, they're jockeying, right? Okay, who's gonna be the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They want those positions of honor and authority. So how did Jesus respond? He says, and and calling to him a child, He put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The humble ones. Apparently the message didn't quite get through to them, did it? When we might say, oh, those disciples, just like you know, the people of Israel, how they just didn't get it. Those disciples, they just didn't get it. Fortunately now, we get it, don't we? We understand perfectly. We get it the first time every time, don't we? No. How many of you have had to have things explained to you again and again and again by the Lord, right? So he so said, this was not only James and John. All of the disciples had an interest in this. And this is something they were continuing to discuss. One time they were walking along, they were on the road, and and Jesus was a little ways away from them, and he comes up to them and he says, what were you guys talking about? Did he know what they were talking about? Yeah, what were they talking about? Who is gonna be greatest in the kingdom, right? So this is something the disciples continued to discuss. Now here we are, we are just, we're just shortly away from the Passion Week, the final week. Was this the last time they would talk about this, about who was gonna be the greatest? No, because when do we have another instance of it? Right up to the night before his death, when they were in the upper room, they were what? Debating and discussing who was gonna be the greatest. And what did Jesus do? He washed their feet. He said, this, this is to be your attitude toward one another. So, James and John and their mother grant the mice, grant that they would have the best positions. What do you think the other disciples thought about this? Well, we don't have to guess. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers, James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. See, a teachable moment. A teachable moment. Jesus often did this. There was something that occurred, and he used that as an opportunity once again to teach. See, when the other 10 heard about this request by James and John, they they became rather indignant. Why? Because they wanted the positions for themselves. Jesus was very much aware of this. So he calls them together and he reminds them of some important principles. He says, you know, among the Gentiles, the the political rulers, the, the high officials there, They lord it over others. What? They want that, again, motivation. They want to be in charge. They want to be in charge. They want to have the power and the glory. They want to lord it over others. But not so. This is not how it is to be among you. If you want to be great, it doesn't come through having an attitude of rulership and authority and lording it over others. But greatness comes through an attitude of being a servant, a slave, a slave a slave to all. So their goal then should not be ruling. Their goal should be serving. See, there's no place in the church of Jesus Christ for overbearing, domineering leaders. Later, Jesus would say, the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Another occasion he said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And there was no greater example of this than the Lord himself, that he did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, the ultimate act of service. So here then was the first clue then for them as to what the death of Christ would accomplish He's going to die. Why? Because in so doing, it would be a ransom for many. His his death would take the place of death for many, for only his death could truly atone for sin. He was the perfect sacrifice whose substitutionary death paid the price for sin. So let's reflect for a moment here then on kingdom greatness. You know, James and John, they mistakenly presumed that prominence was greatness, that prominence in God's kingdom is based on position, power, and authority. But Jesus says that the the path to true greatness comes through suffering, the same kind of suffering that Jesus would endure. And Jesus, of course, is the ultimate example of a servant in the kingdom. And everything he did while he lived and ministered with the apostles set an example for them and for us here today. Jesus came to pour out his life in service and consequently we ought to give our lives in service to him and others because in God's kingdom, greatness is measured by the extent to which we are willing to serve one another humbly. And no one gave up more to become a servant than Jesus have you ever thought about that? Was there any position? Could you have any position higher than the position of the Lord Jesus Christ? You are God, the sovereign Lord of the universe, ruling over the universe on your throne. There is no possible higher position, is there? But yet he humbled himself and he took the position what of a servant who died on a cross, what, who gave his life on a cross, suffering for the sins of untold human beings. Is there any possible position Lower, can you go any lower than that? You cannot be any higher than he was. You cannot go any lower than he did. He's the greatest example of that. He says, that's the attitude you and I are to have. Philippians tells us, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus Though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped or to hold on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, considering what Jesus did for us, it's really rather absurd for us here to then as his followers to to take offense then or to feel demeaned when we are asked to serve others, right? When we are asked perhaps to perform some down-to-earth, unassuming or even unrewarded tasks do you ever feel a little resentful, like nobody sees what I do, nobody appreciates what I do? Well, I want you to know, somebody, nobody else may see it, nobody else may appreciate it, but I know there is someone who always sees it, and I know there's someone who will never forget it either, right? God sees it all, Christ sees it all, and he will remember everything that you did for him. He will reward that. I said, so, we're. God is, God is not going to reward us for everything we did. But he is going to reward us for everything we did for him. Right? Yay, I heard that back there. <laughs> so what is greatness in God's, the upside-down kingdom? It's not power and authority. It's being a servant. That's greatness. It's humble, Christ-like character humble Christ-like service. That's what it means to be great. I heard a message uh, not too long ago. Uh, One of my favorite uh, preachers is uh, Erwin Lutzer. And he was talking about this topic of servanthood, being a servant. It's very encouraging, very inspiring. But then he said something that's just like, oh. You know, sometimes we can hear a message and we're getting all encouraged and ramped up and enthused about it. And then maybe they'll say something that's just like, oh. Kind of hits you and brings like yeah, there's some reality for you though too, right? So he was talking about being a servant and and um, and I'm, I'm 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 through. My heart is soaring at, 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 as he's sharing the word of God and talking about these things. And then he says something. And it's like, oh, he said, one to then what the real test of servanthood is?" He said, "The real test. You think you're a servant? The real." test of servanthood is how you react when someone treats you like one. Isn't that true? Oh, I'm a servant. I want to be a servant. I want to serve you, Lord. I want to humbly serve and do for others. Okay. But how do you react when someone treats you like a servant, treats you like a slave to all? That's the test, isn't it? that's the test so what well I'd remind us again with this if you want to be great if you want to be great in God's kingdom you <laughs> must be a servant do you want to be great do you want to be honored when you stand before that throne of God do you want Him here say well done good and faithful what servant, servant. if you do want to challenge you with this. I want you to think about this. There's a lot of needs in this world of ours, aren't they? Maybe right there in our own homes, our own families, our neighborhood, our workplace, our schools. Ask, who can you serve? Who can you serve? You know, there's an old expression, uh, be careful what you pray for, you just might get it. I said, I think there's a preacher's corollary to that, which would be be careful what you preach you just might live it right so here I was this this as it turns out this I was getting a lesson this week on this topic once again what does it mean to be a servant what does that look like and it is something that I have found that it it concerns an area of my life that I've known for some time but yet here it was it's like you know I'm particularly vulnerable in this area. I feel like there's a lot of things that, you know, that, that come at me. I'm very good at compartmentalizing. Do we have any compartmentalizers here? Okay. I'm very good at putting things in their boxes and putting aside for now because now I need to do this. Now I need to concentrate on this. I put this in a box. I put that away. Put this in a box. Put that away. I'll come back to it. But I've always found there's one area, there's something that I really can't put it in the box and put it away. And it just stays with me. 24 hours a day, there it is. So guess who's been learning some more lessons about that this week, right? And here's something that I pray that I want to share with you. And, And I want you to, God is good. God hears. Thank you for your prayers for those that are praying for me. I know you do. And I feel those. Um, here's something that I would I would say that I like to pray. So when you think about that, who is someone? Maybe there's someone that's on your mind right now. Here's something that I like to pray that you might like to. It says, "Lord, help me to see this person with the eyes of Christ. Help me to love this person with the heart of Christ." And help me to serve this person in the spirit of Christ. Lord, help me see this person with the eyes of Christ. Help me love this person with the heart of Christ. And help me to serve this person in the spirit of Christ. I think that's a good thing that we can pray as you think about that. So do you want to be great? Be a servant. Who can you serve? See them through the eyes of Christ. See them as Christ sees them. Love them with the heart of Christ. Love them as Christ loves them. Serve them in the spirit. Serve as Christ served. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our dear Savior and Lord and servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was willing to set aside all that glory and authority and power and humble himself taking on human form being made like one of us humbly obeying your law on our behalf willingly going to the cross where there he paid the punishment for our sins where the innocent suffered for the sins of the guilty the just one took on the judgment of the unjust. He died, but thank you, Lord, that the story doesn't end there, that he rose from that grave, that he rules and reigns in great power and authority, and he is coming again. I pray, Father, I pray, Father, that you would give us that same attitude of spirit or, or the, of servanthood that he had. Help us, Lord, to identify maybe there's someone in our lives that we can serve. Help us, Lord, to see that person with the eyes of Christ, to love them with the heart of Christ, and to serve them in the Spirit of Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.